Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. We're excited good to morning, be here today. Good morning. It's good morning. Fun. We've got the whole team here today. Pamela, our producer, Chef in the Chapeau, Chef Terry Rotaro. I am here. And Sean over on the techno- technological side uh, is uh, bringing up the rear here today. So uh, we're coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. Uh, a gorgeous place. If you uh, ever want to find us, just go right in to the front of the hotel and go up the stairs to the second floor. And we are back here in the hot stove cooking school. You can hear us on Cairo on Saturdays and Sundays or pick us up on our podcast and listen to whenever you choose. Somebody was telling me that it's a Saturday morning ritual for them. They listen to last week's show on Saturday morning uh, because, you know, it doesn't really get posted on the podcast until later in the day. And so they, they listen every Saturday, but a week, a week later. Uh, or you could go down and come down here and stay at the hotel and kind of hang out. Which is, which is what I would recommend, because it makes for a much better day. It's super fun. And then have breakfast at Lola, which I did this morning. You know, I'm not sure about this working out thing, because <laughs> I work out. And every time I work out, I get really yeah. hungry. And so yeah, then no, I, go you have eat a, more. I go have a breakfast either at the Bay Cafe over there at Fisherman's Terminal so they work out a few blocks from there. Or so the I come fry, here to You have Lola. the fried fish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always have the same thing there. I have the spinach and mushroom omelet with Swiss. Oh, that sounds good. No toast, no hash browns. Just the omelet. Cut out the cheese and then you have less calories. I don't want to cut out the cheese. <laughs> I'm the same uh, We have a large show for you today. Peak of the season. Uh, we're jumping in the peaches. Jackie uh, was picking peaches at our farm uh, yesterday. He's bringing them over, to, or today, this morning, and bringing them over tomorrow. Marcus uh, Lalario, I think that's right, visits us to tell us about Seafood Month at Little Woody's. Uh, demystifying some uh, wine lingo. Pamela's husband, Michael Tier, is going to be here uh, from Pike and Western Wine Shop. And what are we demystifying? Well, he's really worked up about this uh, new attention to natural wines uh-huh. when most excellent wine is natural. It's natural already. So we're going to hear... Because wine his... naturally has sulfites, right? And what's <laughs> yeah. what people are most so, concerned about or pesticides? I think there's a range of concerns, but okay. we'll hear more. We'll hear more. A giggle from the Jacques Pepin Foundation, courtesy of our ex-producer Madeline Pennington. Barada versus mozzarella. I can't believe how many of my kind of older friends are in love with burrata. I know. They think it's so sexy. I know. I don't get it. I mean, it's perfectly delicious, but... You don't get it? It tastes like milk. It is milk. Yeah. Cream. No, it is milk. But I, I just think it's <laughs> a little cream. bit... I love this. It it's, tastes like milk because it is. It's just a little bit overrated, I think. So we'll have that discussion later in the show. And lastly, of course, we're going to play our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge in celebration of Julia Child's birthday... Our guest contributor, Becky Guzak, wrote some special questions. Is she going to be 150 yet? No. 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 Close, no? No. 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 104, 105? No. 1912. Yeah. So 110. 110. 110. Wow. Um, Rub Love Trivia is brought to you by, of course, our specialty spice rubs made right there in Ballard. Let's talk taste of the week. Want me to go first? Do you want to go first? You go. You go. Well, uh... I was working on a charcoal grilled chicken for our dock out there in Ballard because I want to add that to the mix out there on Saturdays and Sundays uh, for Serious Pie Ballard. And so last week I had, uh, was at Wajamaya, so I bought a few chickens. I forgot. I didn't forget. When I picked them up, I realized all they had were like four to five pound chickens. <laughs> These birds were huge. Takes two hours to cook on the grill. Oh, Be my careful. goodness. I, I didn't mind the length of time to cook because my intention is to go low and slow over right. the charcoal grill. 
But my intention is also to use the serious pie, uh, the new pizza spice that we have in our spice rub line. So anyway, I was playing, 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 but I ended up with, you know, 10 pounds of chicken. So, uh, And it's not just you, you were cooking only the thighs? No, no, just no, the, the whole entire, birds. Oh, the whole birds. The okay. whole birds. And so anyway, so I had all this leftover chicken. We've talked about that on this radio show before, about what to do with like a rotisserie leftover chicken. Well, the first chicken. thing I think of right now is a beautiful cold chicken salad for the summertime. Yeah, thank you. I didn't do that. I picked the That's chicken. That's what I would do, Tom. It was all smoky and delicious. I wrapped it in fresh corn tortillas, put it into a casserole, and poured canned enchilada sauce that I bought. I bought three kinds of enchilada sauce. Uh, from this grocery store uh-huh. They were delicious All three were delicious Who knew? Hey. The food scientists know That's why those companies have them Is because they make deliciousness For those big wow. products Well <laughs> not everything in the can is delicious I'll tell you that right now Try some peas or beans uh, Right Anyway I just poured a ball in But I didn't if that, It was super hot last week I didn't want to heat the house So I roasted them on my charcoal grill I just put the whole casserole On the charcoal grill and put the lid down and just kind of baked them on the grill so they pick up a little bit more smoke mm-hmm. than what the chicken already had on it. Jackie made a beautiful tomatillo salsa for the top of the red sauce enchiladas. Ooh. I'm telling you, it was, it was a delight. And so last night when everyone left me alone for my birthday at my, at my choosing, uh, I had leftover at my choosing, I said... Look at Pamela. It's like, uh, I'm irate. Wait, it was your birthday? I thought you were the eight. What happened to that? That's my mother. Oh, I got you on my calendar yeah. under your we'll mother. Talk about my, mom, about my mom later. My mom passed this week, so uh, we're going back to, to Delaware to celebrate her life. Uh, anyway, alone on my birthday with a bottle of Barolo and sounds pretty good leftover enchiladas <laughs> it was delightful <laughs> you know what i like about this peace and quiet yeah. <laughs> exactly. i hate to say it but sometimes peace and quiet is especially in okay. our life your 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 run here Sean. i was fortunate enough to uh, do a quick trip to hawaii this last week and go see one of my favorite jack johnson concert at the shell which was quite fabulous but more importantly uh, went to eat a uh, omakase sushi dinner at um, a place called uh, Moriyama in Honolulu and a friend of mine lives in Hawaii so she's the one who recommended that Mali and uh, we went there and it was very untraditional in terms of it was very uh, you know it's an open kitchen kind of idea and, and when I mean open kitchen I mean like from the dish like, like from here from the back of the wall you see the dishwasher and, and the shelf with all the pots and pans. I mean, it was very untraditional in terms of look, but more importantly, the food, you know, nothing was really like, um, in terms of size, it was not like this precious little thing. It was much more like the size of what it is. Uh-huh. Like if you get the unagi, you get a big, like a double filet kind of idea. Uh-huh. So it's a two-biter, not a one-biter. They didn't care about that, but the flavors were absolutely outstanding. And I, I want to, recommend for people like sushi to take a trip there because it's a very i think it's worth a trip and beautiful um sake you know nice collection of sake um it was very very delicious and um i mean we we had many many courses and everything was just scrumptious but very untraditional which is the part i really what made it untraditional? It would be like, it would be like if tom douglas meets nobu 
<laughs> well, imagine okay. that. Part imagine. of the untraditional is, like he said, it's a double fillet of eel, right? Right. Yeah. Which is you know, typically on a nigiri, right? Or, you don't or, do two biters. It's it's one bite. Yeah. It's one bite of. And he had plenty of two biters, and and just that is already like untraditional and. Um, I just thought, but the flavors, very creative also, mm-hmm. not super traditional in many of the flavors. So that was, I would recommend it. Uh, by wonder, the way, it's not cheap. I wonder how traditional Japanese would feel about it. Because if you... Well, you have to be uh, just, like, just like you were, just like I am. You have to be adventurous. Yeah, you can't, exactly. You can't go there expecting what you know from home. You know, it's always the same thing when you travel. All right, up next, uh, it's time for peaches. It's peak of the season, peach time. Uh, I always think about August 1st being that special peach area nectarines so uh let's uh and and oddly it's the way it is this Mm -hmm. year august 1st august 2nd uh on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm welcome back to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo. It's Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in a hat. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on peaches. But first, I wanted to say, when I think about peaches, I often think about my mother because she always had, like on special occasions, uh, spiced peaches. And, you know, when I think about what is, peaches... What is spiced peaches? Uh, just well, let, me, let me tell you. It wasn't like we put them up ourselves, but she would take canned peaches and then kind of make a spice syrup and put the peaches in the spice syrup, and they would go with ham or turkey as a garnish around the outside of the big roast. So the, the peach would be really sweet, and the spice would be yeah, around she it. would use the cling peaches, you know. You can buy them by the 10-pack sure, at sure. Costco or whatever. That was just her thing, and she grew up on those, and that's what yeah, yeah. A, a taste and a texture that she loved. Uh, my mom passed this week, super sad about that. Very sorry, she's, Tom. She's the one who taught me. I wouldn't say she taught me how to cook, but she inspired me. Um, like my like her mother uh, inspired me to cook. Uh, she cooked for eight kids and of course her husband uh, three meals a day every day, and uh, that was certainly influence, influential on my life. And yep. uh, like you, you know, we always hear on the show about when you go back home to visit your mom, what dish you want her to make for you right away because right. you have those memories. Uh, for me, in the beginning, when I first moved away from Delaware which is now 45 years ago, holy smokes, uh, I would go back and, you know, have her meat, meat low for whatever the, uh, I can't remember all the, pot roast was always one. You like pot sure. foo, I sure. had pot sure. roast. Uh, those kind of cool things that uh, moms make. And watching her kind of progress over the years from canned to frozen vegetables to fresh vegetables, insisting on fresh vegetables, to, you know, they always had a little bit of a garden in the side yard and, um, and I mean a little bit of a garden. <laughs> so anyway, it was it was been some nice memories this week to think about her. Uh, she was I was telling Pamela early she was uh, earlier she was witty right up not witty yes but also cognizant right up to the end. So many times our seniors, you know, they are living longer now and, and they end up getting you know no memory when they die or right, whatever. Right, right. Not her man. She was like she was on it. Her body failed, but her mind was sharp as a tack. And uh, I was telling Pamela, we always make fun of my mother because she has she's lived by herself for 15 years. My dad died 15 years ago, but before that, they were by themselves. But she has two huge chest freezers in the basement, another fridge in the basement, a fridge in the garage, and a fridge in the kitchen. Because she's never been able to lose the fact that she's not cooking for 10 people at right. every meal. And, and, and it's funny because when I, when I heard about your mom passing away... You won't believe this, but that's one of the first things that came to my mind 
was you talking about that freezer. And I, the first oh. thing that I had this image in my head, then you're going to go back home, and the first thing you're going to do is empty that freezer. Oh, my sister's already been there. She's, ta- I, <laughs> she's taking an inventory because my mom wanted kind of a traditional Irish wake for the, the, her uh-huh. celebration of sure. life. And so I have my sister inventory the freezer, and there's turkeys and chicken thighs and steaks and... And uh, we, she only got to the top layer. Anything Those are, ni- these are chest freezers. <laughs> Anything from 1980? <laughs> <laughs> I had to, I literally, uh, about 20 years ago, my mother's a short woman, and I pulled everything out of the freezer and put empty milk crates in the bottom. So, because she couldn't reach to the bottom. And of course, I found things in there that were 40 years old. <laughs> and uh, so, so now it's only half That's as a brilliant f- solution. Half as full as it was. You should, maybe you should. But anyway, so here's what here's, I want to get to this before we get the peaches. So on my mom's deathbed on Monday morning, my sister, who's been an, a saint, has been taking care of her. My mom knows she's going to die, but she's also very cognizant. So she goes through and she says to my sister, I just, I just want you to know there's a whole turkey in the freezer and there's chicken. Th- this is an hour before she passed. Oh, my God. There's, there's chicken thighs in the freezer. I want you to use those up. And remember the brawn panties we bought this weekend at Kohl's that we got two for one? Uh, you should take those back because we're not going to need those. <laughs> this is an hour before she died. And this is such a mom thing to I do. Know. Well, is it? I, well, I mean, oh, yeah. my God. Yes, a mom thing. An to hour do. before you die? Oh, that's She's taking care of business. It never goes away. It never she goes was a away. very frugal woman, is what I'll say. Yeah. And which is why she ended up living on her own, in her own house, with, you know, with plenty of money Bless in the bank. Her and my dad never made more than $36,000 in a year, so... Rest in peace, adorable yeah, woman. Go. Good woman. Uh, All right. Peaches. Peak of the season of peaches. Put them in the freezer. That's what I would recommend. Yeah. One of the nice things about having siblings, you know, we only had one kid, Loretta. But the go-around has been really good with pictures and all that sort of thing. The go-around has been super fun with some old shots of my mom. She was a peach, by golly. Uh, you made your first pavlova, Pamela. Yes, to celebrate really? peaches, and I was inspired by Bridget's treatment of egg whites at a macaron class last week. So I got out the blender and got fluffiness, and they turned out perfect because Met Market's got peacharama happening. I was going to uh, mention that. Of course you were, and uh, there's just nothing quite as delicate and yeah. lovely yeah. as a fresh peach. I didn't sugar it or anything. On a undersweetened pavlova, and no, if you have the perfect peach, there is no need to no add need to do anything, anything at all. It's what do you mean on an undersweetened pavlova? The interesting thing was I didn't have cream of tartar, and it uh, said you could substitute apple cider vinegar. Right, uh-huh. and I I don't know if it was my imagination, but it it just didn't. Well, it cuts come down. Out. It cuts down on the sweetness because of the like acid it. of the vinegar. It's much more sour than tartar, so, so that's why. That's what I... I mean, and same with lemon juice. Because I used a full amount of sugar. I imagine you, you have You put lemon to. juice in there too, right? You, you put lemon juice? It said or. Oh, because I put lemon, lemon juice, and that does the same thing. It cuts down on the, on the heavy sweetness. Because if you don't do any of that, it's very sweet to do. I mean, yeah. French meringue is very sweet. Which and is so how did you prepare your peaches then? Just sliced. No, uh, nothing. No. Because it's peak season. They so they juice themselves in they a funny way? Themselves. I see. It was wonderful. Which they huh. do, which is so beautiful. This is what peach are so gorgeous about. Yeah. You slice, you, you slice them. You peel or not peel? Peel. Yeah. I'm a peel. Peel. Nectarine, not peel. Yeah. yeah. I peel peaches too. Uh, peel peaches, sliced, throw them onto a, a pie or pan or whatever you have for dessert, and let it sit there for a minute. 
it will start sweating and all that juice will come out. So you bought your peaches at Matt. Do you remember the brand? Was it uh, a particular No, because they, they, they usually have... Um, Red Havens, right? Right. Uh, called out the farm. But uh, this display... Yeah, they I have a few. Uh, they actually go through different farms through I see. the peach season. But what they're very proud of and what they do every year is that... Remember, John Raleigh started that. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the measuring bricks. the sugar content, yeah. the bricks, into the peach. So they're very proud of their peach... Bricks measurements. Well, also, they, they, you just have to handle them so gently, like they're just a little pet bunny or something like that, right? So, Unless uh, you know what you're going to do with it, don't buy more than two or three. Yeah, eat you them know, today. Buy two or three, buy, eat them now. That's the end of that. And that's the beautiful thing when they specialize in, like, the Picharama, is that they are really kind of working the peaches so that they do have ripe ones all the time. Correct. Them, which is nice. Yeah, and, and you eat them now. If you're going to buy more... And you want to do something with peaches, do the same treatment of, you know, you peel them, you, you quarter them, and then you put them in the freezer yeah. on a sheet pan, individually, you know, frozen. Oh, and then it, you have uh, chunks of peaches in your freezer. Then you take them out, put them in a very heavy bag uh, of uh, Ziploc or something. Ziploc yeah. or even a, a, a container, you know, and make sure they don't get freezer burned. And then when you want breakfast, take a few of those peaches out, cut them. Put them in your cereal, and you get wonderful peaches. The other thing I like to do, uh, I love a little fruit with my roast duck, and I make duck probably more than anybody that I know. <laughs> you probably do. <laughs> I love roast duck. And, uh, but to have that little bit of peach, and then you kind of marry that with something like a sambal olek or something, uh-huh. where you've got the hot chili paste and the sweet, sweet peach, and it makes a beautiful uh, chutney or uh, yeah. something of that nature. Yeah. yeah. Peach does well, does well warm. For but warm, not, duck. not cooked into... I'm not a big fan of like cooked peaches like down to a stew kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not that person. I like to taste my peaches, but what I do every year is peach jam, which coming in the next week or two, I'm going to do a whole batch of peach jam because I do peach jam where you have chunks of peaches and in January testing fresh peaches in your jam. Mm. It's memorable. Sounds delicious. All right, coming up next, Mark, Marcus Lolario uh, from Little Woody's is here. It's uh, Seafood Month at Little Woody's. And Marcus is going to tell us all about it. And I know I'm first up in this uh, this adventure uh, with a salmon burger at Little Woody's. So we're going to talk about that on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show from the Hot Stove Society Kitchens here in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Hopefully, you're in your garden or you're driving down the freeway with us on your radio. We Maybe in the kitchen making something delicious like I, that apricot jam you're about ready to eat. That apricot jam is, I was going to say, That's from our tree. super tasty. Yeah. Whoever made that made it perfectly well. I like it because it's not too sweet. It's got the perfect uh, apricot flavor. It also has that tanginess and apricot do when you cook them. Uh-huh. It's very well balanced. And it's, it's just a natural pectin. There's no pectin added. No. Yeah. It's delicious. It's Seafood Month at Lil Woody's. Marcus Lolario is here to tell us all about it. He's at the microphone now. Thank you for coming cool. all the way down here. Welcome. To downtown yeah. Seattle. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being a part of it this year. Absolutely. Yeah. We're thrilled How's to my burger you. selling? Or do we know it's yet? It's actually selling it really well. today? It started yesterday. It started yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been going great. For some reason, White Center twice as good as other areas. <laughs> well, who knew? Where are who your knew? locations? Uh, White Center, Capitol Hill, Ballard, and then we have two locations in T-Mobile. 
And then we have the airport coming up uh, next year and, and Microsoft. Where are you going to be at the airport? Uh, end terminal. It's, and been, it's been an eight-year or seven-year struggle with the airport. Yeah, we tried to get into no the airport. And it's a busy terminal. Very busy. Yeah, we, we had a spot in the Seagate. They decided they couldn't find, get the right utilities to the spot after we had everything approved. They moved us to the end terminal. The pandemic hit. All right, we're, seafood month. So yep. you got me here. I, I know that I made a, a version of the salmon burger that, that we use down at Seatown Restaurant. Yep. Utilizing the beautiful Bristol Bay sockeye, which is in, just uh, coming up towards the tail end of its run. A record year, almost 70 million fish this year uh, wow. from the Bristol Bay run, a record turnout. This is the fourth or fifth year in a row for record turnout for Bristol Bay sockeye. So I think, I think if no I rem- pebble mine. I think if, if I remember this correctly, Tom, it was 52 million the first year. Then it well, came back, and now it's at 70 million. No, I, yeah. It's been 50-some, but it's been coming back for uh, eons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, maybe when we started counting was that. Well, but. maybe, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so we're, uh, I know my sandwich is the griddled uh, salmon. It's got the fresh fennel relish and a little remoulade on it. Yep. Um, what's coming up after me? Um, after you, we have uh, Terrell Jackson from Catfish Corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's doing his classic uh, catfish sandwich, which is fried catfish, um, American cheese, Tartars, his own tartar sauce that he makes and shredded lettuce. After that is Estu or Frank's oyster. Can you husk? stop there for one second? Am I the only person that loves catfish? If you go to Catfish mm-hmm. Corner, you'll see other people who uh, do yeah. love catfish. <laughs> I, would say, there, there. I would say you no don't to see that. it in the grocery it's, store. It's right down the street yeah. from my house, and I guarantee you there's a line almost daily. But why don't you ever see catfish in the grocery and we, store? I have another restaurant called Fats Chicken and Waffles, uh-huh. and we sell a ton of catfish. Oh, there. do you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, actually, that's your restaurant? Yeah. Oh, cool. People actually add catfish to the Eggs Benedict on, in the oh, brunch uh, instead. Uh, yeah. on some, uh, it's in uh, Rainier Valley, right? Uh, Central District. Yeah. Oh, Central yep. District, yeah. Yep. Same, same yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. right across from the old uh, Central Smoke. Is that true? Or? Yep. It's yeah. uh, right on twenty or, uh, Cherry and MLK. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, so no, it's not where I was thinking. Uh, okay, what's next after that? Um, after that is Frank's Oyster House. Mm-hmm. They're doing fried oyster sandwich, pickled jalapenos, and a ramelade. And then it's Estuary, which is kind of an up-and-coming caterer chef. He's working on uh, opening up his own fish market uh-huh. where you can get the fish. He'll also prepare it. So we wanted to um, add a little shine and give him a little attention. So he's doing a surf and turf thing with uh, sole and pork patty, uh, a ramelade. And then after that is our own fish filet that we do, which is just a direct bite of McDonald's. Except That's we a, use a, a good Pollock? piece of cod. Yeah, cod. Yeah. Oh, cod. cod. Yeah. We cod. did Pollock last year, but it was, it was hard to come by it this yeah. year. Uh. So we switched to cod. And that's just American cheese, uh, like a pickly tartar sauce, shredded lettuce, mm-hmm. fried beer-battered fish. Just an old McFish ripoff. Oh, Love that. The old I still buy meal. an old McFish once in a while. Yep, yeah. small coffee and a hen of It kind of tastes like it's uh, been, was been in the freezer for a bit. But why are you doing Seafood Month? Um, just to bring some attention to the Northwest. Also, we, uh, we do a thing called Burger Month where we work with chefs, and we, just, we love collaborating over there. We love working with other people. We love seeing other people's creativity, what they can do with a burger or a sandwich. And so what we found when we first started was some of these elevated chefs were excited to build a burger. You know what I mean? Because it's not something <laughs> yeah, they always get to do, but they all love burgers, and they all have the burger they love. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, we've done Burger Month, I think, seven or eight years, and it's, every year it gets better and better. This is our second year of Seafood Month, and we've, we found the same thing. It's uh-huh. been great. Plus, we get to shine a little attention on restaurants that we love. Um, or and the Woody's, too. And what you guys do, too. Yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah they, they awesome. kind of co-sign us. Yeah. We co-sign them. Mm-hmm. It's a good partnership. No, it's a great partnership. Yeah. yeah. And yep. it's, it's 
gives a sense of community, which is what CLO is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like to not lose that. That's cool. The burger for burger program. Yeah. So that was something that um, we've always been into donating and giving back. Anytime there's any kind of auction, fundraiser, anything we can do, we, we always donate. But during the pandemic, we realized like there's a lot of underserved communities that need food. A lot of families or parents, single parents, single families that just need a lunch or food. So we started a program called Burger for Burger, where you buy a burger, we donate a burger. So we're donating 100 to 200 burgers a week to schools, seniors. Because what we also didn't realize with a lot of senior citizen centers that were going there to get food, they couldn't because of COVID. So there was an organization that was delivering food. So we bring them food to deliver. Nice. Um, and so we continue that, uh, that, that program. Uh-huh. Tremendous generosity. Thank yeah, you. I mean, it, it yeah. feels good and it's cool. And, you know, when you work with some of these bigger chefs, you know, you are profiting off their burgers. So it's nice to be like, you know what, we're going to donate whatever we sell. We're going to donate burgers in your name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much good about all of that. You know, I think uh, when you go back and look at how Food Lifeline has made, it, made its way over the pandemic and literally for all the time it's been in operation, 50, yeah. 60 years now, uh, it all depends on chefs bringing attention to it, other people bringing attention, and then generosity of our of our neighbors yeah uh helping neighbors so yeah and we, we we talk about it but we try not to brag about it but we talk about it to hopefully influence other people that are yeah. able or have the, the the means to do it to do whatever you can yeah you know yeah, and i think it's exactly how it should work you get other chefs involved so the whole community gets involved everybody gains from that by being you know helping the community which is you know we if we don't have a community yeah. we don't have customer if we don't have customer we can close the door so you know, right. it's, it's a mutual, it works for everybody, and it's a, it's a good, it's a feel good all around. Yeah, and 100 burgers, when you look at it, you think, man, that's, that's a lot of cost, but at the end of the day, you, you really don't even notice it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and the people who are cooking the food feel really good about it because they're helping the process in donating burgers. Mm-hmm. So now we're letting the staff pick organizations that they believe in ah. and to, to donate to, and, you know, we just try to make it a, about the community, especially in the neighborhoods we're in. It's good to get the staff involved in the donation part. I think that's very smart. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, go, uh, let's take a step back for a second. And uh, Little Woody's is all about the burgers. Yep. What makes a great burger? People are on their grills right now this summer making burgers out, outdoors. Or A lot of people I saw at uh, Home Depot, they have these griddles now that they're selling, outdoor yeah. griddles. Uh, what to you makes a perfect burger? You know, when we went into it, I used to love just getting frozen co- Costco burgers and just uh-huh. tossing them on the grill. After a while, I didn't love it so much. We wanted to elevate the backyard burger. Okay. Um, and so by doing that, it starts just with fresh ground beef. Okay. You know what I mean? And picking a ground 80, beef. 80-20? Uh, we moved to 75-25 75-25. Just because the fat content really builds it up. And we were doing Painted Hills, but we really recently switched to um, Royal Ranch just because they're in the state. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing over there for the environment and sustainability is really, really great. But yeah, just finding that, that meat you love and that seasoning you love and and cooking it and once that you have that it's really hard to kind of mess it up uh, mm-hmm. toasted bun or untoasted bun to- to- buttered and toasted buttered and toasted oh, real that butter man. what's that real butter real butter wow that's yeah. awesome real butter onions fried fresh anything uh, we do both so some of our what we did me and my friend got together for six months before I opened and we started with ground beef we picked the ground beef we liked we made seasonings found the seasoning we liked found the buns and then we each came up with 15 to 20 burgers that we each liked uh-huh. we narrowed it down so we kind of had a burger for each palate I see so we do have some caramelized onions in the, um, in the trotter, which is uh, apples, caramelized onion, like a bacon compote, and then it's finished with horseradish. Uh-huh. Um, and then we have raw onions on a thing called smoked out with a chipotle sauce, 
of fresh onions, tomatoes, and smoked cheddar cheese. And uh, mm. even Terry, it sounds like you might even go to this. I might place. even go. I <laughs> might even. I might even eat that one. We might need you to do a burger next time. I yeah, used to, I, do. You know, I helped. Uh, I used to have two burgers in the one at Luke and one at Lule, and they were pretty, pretty darn good. I'm sure we were proud of our burgers. Actually, I'm sure. One of our old coworkers started uh, the Red Mill Burgers, yep. and so I'm I, friends of the fam- I'm with Babe Shepherd, Shepherd, yeah, yeah. and. and uh, I remember helping her with her onion ring recipe, and mm-hmm. but I, I am the one that gets me about her. She does not agree with me. She uses a whole leaf of green leaf, and, and I like shredded lettuce, like I'm on a, a Dick's burger, because day. I hate when you bite into the burger and the whole leaf comes off. And yeah. The- yeah, but when you eat shredded, it falls apart too. It Whatever. falls. I don't mind. Whatever. Was, Red Mill Burger is delicious. Wedding that you catered. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's so funny. Uh, all right, we got to run, but uh, go visit uh, Little Woody's. Uh, say hi to Marcus and try out my burger this week. If not next week, you can jump in on the Catfish Corner's uh, uh, signature sandwich burger with fried catfish. Yep. On Cairo Radio, you're listening to the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Great. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Kitchen here in downtown Seattle. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Pamela, we're going to let you introduce this next person. He's unfamiliar to me, but I know you know him intimately. <laughs> There's a spectacular owner-operated wine shop in the Pike Place Market that has the best selection of wine, best curated, curated sele- yeah. selection that is tasted by the staff. And endorsed by the staff, so um, you're always led to something completely delicious. So the boss can delicious. come back to work every day. Yes. Um, and it is run by a handsome man named Michael Tier, and the name of the shop is Pike and Western. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Mike. Hello, Thanks, Mike. Pam. Terry, good to see you. Tom. Do you know this lady who introduced you so well? I've met her once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> You know, here's the funny part about their relationship. I knew them both before they would even, they were adversaries. They was, Pam was managing a wine shop at the Dealer Rennies in one end of the market, uh-huh. and Mike was managing a wine shop at Pike and Western at the other end of the market, and they didn't particularly care for each other. They were very competitive. She had been flirting with me all along. Oh, I see how it is. That's, that's <laughs> And I sold them both wine when I was selling wine wholesale. So Before he knew Jackie. He's taking credit. So you're looking from the outside. I like yeah. it. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, uh, Pam, you brought Mike on today because you do wine classes here sometimes. Yes. And a big question you always get is about this natural wine thing. Natural wine. Uh-huh. People think it's a new invention mm-hmm. to have natural <laughs> wine. And I hear Mike complaining about the questions that he gets from his consumers. Go, Terry. I want to make one quick remark about yes, natural wine. Uh, there are some very fabulous natural wine on the market, but there are also a lot of not-so-good wine natural on the market. So if your introduction to wine is natural wine, go see Mike and ask him where you should start. Ask people who know about wine where you should start, because I think there is a lot of um, absolutely mediocre. And recently, I was actually with Cyril. We were in a restaurant. And we ordered, we, he ordered a wine by the glass because that's what he wanted. He wanted a glass of wine. And they brought him a, a wine glass, a glass of wine that was, oh, it's, a, you know, natural or whatever. And the wine was absolutely despicable. I mean, it was really not good. This is where this segment came from. So break it down for us, Mike. Well, first, I'd like to correct you just a little bit. It's not the customer's questions. It's the information they're getting that leads to those questions. Uh, because there's so much hyperbole. 
And I've always lived by something I read in a Michael Broadbent wine book many, many years ago. It was written in the 18th century. In wine and wine writing, there's an enormous amount of humbug. <laughs> and it's still true today. And, and in the natural wine market, it seems to have blossomed a bit. Uh, natural wine is not new. It's the way wine used to be made before there were chemicals and, and uh, stainless steel fermenters. And you, you crush grapes, you put them in some sort of vessel, and it fermented. And natural wine is a little more than that. It, it's, a, it's a good thing overall because the idea of natural wine is that you have to start in the vineyard. But there's different levels. You know, there's natural, there's organic, there's biodynamic. And Just like been, in the food, it's and, the same and, thing. And you're correct. There are a lot of of natural, quote, natural wines, because there's no true definition of it, no legal definition, that aren't very good. And I taste them all the time. They look terrible. They're they're just, they ruin the grapes. They're unstable. But there are, and increasingly, we're seeing people that really know what they're doing uh, noticing this market, and they're adding their expertise and making really high-quality natural wines. And a lot of it has to do with farming. It starts with farming. Right. Um, but it's a very confusing issue for the consumer. I think it starts with farming and also knowing what wine is. I mean, everybody can probably make uh, natural wine on their own by getting grapes and, you know, making the fermentation. But there is, there is a certain amount of knowledge that needs to be involved in terms of making it so you can put it in a bottle and be stable and, you know, be alive for, you know, exactly. stay, stay that way for a while. You exactly. Know? It's like, and the idea that... A natural wine, to begin with, there's nothing natural about making wine. If you want to let the grapevine grow naturally, right. it grows huge and it doesn't make fruit that you want to make wine out of. Correct. So you have to prune the grape. You have to take care of the grape. Uh, you, you have, have to, to water the grape. You have to water them. Well, Actually, uh, not true. Not everyone has to no, water. No, in yeah. most of the world, uh, well, in Europe, it's not allowed. Irrigation isn't allowed. Right. You have to be able to exist off existing water that comes down from the sky or is, that's in the ground. And I can tell you this summer they're hurting. Uh, yeah, well, that's a whole other subject, climate change and the effect on grapes. But the positive thing about natural wines is it's really forcing even conventional winemakers to look at their vineyards more because it has to start in the vineyard. Correct. And then you do as little as possible. You don't use herbicides and pesticides. Correct. You don't use chemical fertilizers. Correct. And then you do as little as possible in making the wine. The tenets of natural wine are that no herbicides, pesticides, chemicals in the vineyard. Native yeast fermentation, uh, which some winemakers don't agree with, but you let the, and some people say there is no native yeast, but you don't add an inoculated yeast Correct. to get the fermentation going. Sometimes it takes longer. Uh, you don't use additives, enzymes, you don't add tannin, you don't add mega purple. No wood chips. <laughs> uh, nothing. You, you don't add anything. But. I learned something new in doing a little research. In Europe, you can be well, or an organic wine because natural. Actually, they're trying to define natural, but organic wine in Europe, you're allowed to use a little bit of sulfur. To be classified organic in the United States, you can't add sulfur, which is, I think, why you see so few wines labeled organic right, in the right, United States right. because you need a little bit of sulfur Correct. and a certain amounts of natural byproduct of fermentation. I mean, it's, it's definitely... Uh a little bit more just, it's more complicated than just mom's backyard and make some, make some wine, you know, and, and especially for being retelling or reselling, yeah. you know, it's like you're making it at home, that's a different story, but for resell or retail or being in a restaurant as a poor for 
15 bucks a glass and or 5 bucks a glass. You can't, uh, yeah. yeah, you have to, you know, it's being shipped around the world or even if it's being shipped from Eastern Washington to Seattle, it has yeah. to be stable enough to take right. uh, some heat and some... Okay, we only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, what are some of your breakthrough natural wines that kind of, that make you happy? Some of the best ones are very small producers. Um, there's a producer in Umbria who uh, has been doing it for a long time. He goes by the name Paolo Bea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and his son, John Piero, uh, have a classic Italian farm, grapes, olive trees, animals. And his natural wines uh, are gorgeous. So Umbria's in central Italy, right? Central yeah. Italy. And uh, we just brought in his pasta from uh, wheat that he grows and mills on the property as well. It's, we had it for dinner the other night. It's fantastic. Um, then there are some bigger producers. That you, I, we haven't talked about biodynamics, but that's kind of the beginning of natural wine. Uh, a bigger Vouvray producer, Domaine Huey, makes gorgeous, beautiful, clean, long-lived uh, biodynamic wines, yep. which is sort of super organic. So you you want to go it. very expensive, Dagno. Dagano is very expensive, <laughs> but Huet surprisingly isn't. They're still in the mid forty dollar range. Yeah. Uh, and for me, the the most exciting thing has been many smaller champagne producers going more organic, uh, not natural per se, but taking care of their vineyards better. Because as you know, champagne yeah. used to use a lot of chemicals. Correct. And that's been a big addition. And I think well done grapes wines made from grapes grown organically and biodynamically. Are, are more alive and, and they taste better but the first duty of wine is to be delicious right. and if it's not in a lot of natural wines there's Britannomyces there's volatile acidity it's not fulfilling its Correct. duty to be delicious if you want to check out more go down and see the staff at Pike and Western Wine Shop down there at the corner of Pike Place and Western Avenue Virginia and Virginia yeah. uh, there's a, like a little try a little meet there Seatown Restaurant right, is right across, across the Seatown. street Cutter's Restaurant is right across the street so uh, it's a it's a fun place in the Pike Place market. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Thank Tom. you so Thanks, much. Thanks, nice for to sharing, see you. Uh, Thanks for sharing your husband with us, Pamela. All right. We need more wine talk. Is it Macron or Macaroon? That's what we're oh, going to decide. Macaron. Do. Uh, that's what we're going to decide. Yeah. Next on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Woohoo! We're back. It's a lovely day. It's the Hot Stove Society show. Summertime. I am joined in the kitchen by uh, Pamela Hinckley, our producer, Sean McFadden, our technical director, and of course the chef in the chapeau, Monsieur Thierry Rotureau. Monsieur Thierry Rotureau. Say it right, since we're going to talk about. Monsieur Rotureau, in honor of Julia's birthday, Pamela has a question for you. Is it Macron? Macaroon? Mac. Uh, Macron. Macron. <laughs> Please lead us through. <laughs> oh, it's the Macarena. Or, the, or is it Macarena? It's Macarena. No, it is Macaroon. Okay, so just to preface our little conversation here, we do have another full hour of goodness. Uh, Pam, you saw on the uh, Jacques Pepin Foundation website. Madeline Dow Pennington pointed us right, to it. Uh, there was a discussion about Macaroon versus Macaron versus Macron. And it's a cute little thing. And so we, you thought you'd ask Terry, which is which? To demystify it. And they were uh, part of the graphic that the foundation posted was, yeah, and which is your favorite? Which is your favorite? Oh, the yeah. Macron, the president? Macaroon, the Jewish deli coconut? 
cookie and macaron. Yeah. Yeah. But I like my two-layered macaron with a little sandwich of cream in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's how I like my macaron. So that's how you pronounce it too. Mac- macaron. Macaron. That's how you say it. Macaron. You yeah. don't say macaroon. That's the uh, well, English version. That's the English version, but it's also, I think, is a different kind of cookie. Correct. It's just coconut it's like and egg white. pasty coconut. And yeah. soft in the middle kind of thing. Yeah. Where the, uh, the macaron, the macaron, as I guess said in French, the macaron is uh, 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 French egg white, uh, French meringue, pardon me, that is uh, crusty on the, lightly crusty on the outside, tender on the inside, with a cream in between two uh-huh, layers. Uh-huh. And they're so, the rage around the world. They're the rage around I mean, the world. When I, mean, I first went to Paris, I had them at Laudre. Yeah. Uh, so beautiful. And, uh, One of the, the most beautiful bakeries in the world. Incredible the world. display. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's his name? There was another guy that did them too. Uh, yes. Hubert or... Uh, no. Um, Christian somebody? <laughs> it will no? come back to me. Okay. I'm but, asking um, Bridget to join because she just... Uh, taught a class in the classic one, and much to my surprise, the guests had tremendous success <laughs> because it's the um, the technique um, requires some attention with the grinding of the flowers, and so it's very yeah. it's very interesting because people think it's really really hard to make macaron, and it's just like most pastry. That looks complicated. It's not complicated. It's attention. It's a attention. Just, just take step by step and pay attention. Well, and there are a couple of key points in the making of Macron. Of course. That are, that oh, have to. Macron is the president. president. <laughs> Macaron. You have to Macaron. say all the letters. Macaron. Think of a, a, a Japanese. You know how the Japanese say well, every letter is in the word? Italian too. Uh, so Macaron. Macaron. Macron is the president of That's France. That's right. Handsome guy. Anyway, keep going. The grinding of the flour critical. is a key critical step. Sifting and grinding of the flour. So the almond flour with the confectioner sugar. Then the other step that I learned later was the folding of the batter so and almost overfolding. Remember with Julia, and she really used to whip her whites in the making of her souffles. Mm-hmm. She would use a whisk and really mix and blend everything together well. And that's the same. Uh huh. And so if you fold them. Whereas I think traditionally you would think you don't want to knock the air out of the correct, whites, right? Okay. Correct. Right. Because you want to be careful. You're scared. So then you don't fold it, and it still gets that coarse finish on the top. So I had uh, what I said in class was I had phone a friend. I had a phone a friend situation with Chef Kim Smith. And <laughs> so I would call her, and I can't tell you how many times I called Kim. Once, you know, she stopped teaching the class. We had. Olivier teach the class. Mm-hmm. He worked for Ducasse. We had Antoine Rondonet. He taught the class. Uh, Kim Smith taught the class. Ariami, who cooked here, she taught the class. Were you nervous teaching the class? Uh, that first time, it was like, you know, I'd made a couple of You hope it's going to come out. <laughs> yeah, and they were coarse. And I was like, darn it, you know. And so just a little bit. And you know, there is, there is, I mean... I think, first of all, no matter what, you eat it at the end. So don't worry too much about that. Because it's sugar and egg white. You're going to eat it no matter what. It's like candy, you know. I know, but now, when they're beautiful. Perfection, perfection is something that takes a little practice, like Bridget say. You know, it doesn't come most likely the first day. 
But if you pay attention to detail, it's not necessarily hard to get to it. You just have to practice right. and understand what she's talking about. So the sifting of the flour allows the, the whole thing to stay up. You know, the egg white keeps it up, but the, the flour being light as opposed to be totally a very heavy flour allows it to stay up a little bit. So the macaron at very low heat can stay up and, and form that little crust that you're looking for. And then you also have to be careful that the crust doesn't become all crackled. Right. Because you know, I've done macaron where right. it looked like uh, the face of a 150-year-old. <laughs> Oil painting, yeah. You know, it's like yeah. crackled. The Mona Lisa is on your macaron. What yeah, happened? Exactly. Oh, man. I don't think anybody's cracked at the class, did they? No. I didn't see any they were perfect. Ones. Yeah. It was amazing. I was actually kind of surprised. The class sold out really fast. Yeah. So and when are you doing was... the next one? Well, that's what Bridget said. We better do this again. But the, they make me nervous, the baking classes. It's but true. They make you nervous. <laughs> I know. Okay. you want him to be Did successful. Did you come to it? She <laughs> was here. She was oh, you here. Were here. You so were she saw it all, and we only had... And actually, mine were wrong. Something <laughs> happened in my demo. I don't know. Well, I you're busy have... teaching, so that's, that's a bit... You have an excuse. But they were, mine were very tight and almost like the Italian... Um, oh, yeah. Did you have a favorite flavor at the end of the day of all the... Did the, did the people who took the class here at the hot stove... Well, have... we didn't get into flavors no. because we didn't oh, want technique. them... Technique. We just wanted technique, and we didn't want them to get distracted uh-huh. because in, in past class we've let them add color and let them add different flavors and then they don't pay attention uh-huh. to the steps we've had some where they spread and they're the size yeah. of a sand dollar yeah. you know and it's like oh, sorry like color. I said no matter what you will hit it at the end but yes sand dollar is not what yeah there was for. only we had 12 teams so uh-huh. 24 people total and there was only one team that had kind of a course finish to their um, cookies, and it was the folding. So if you want uh, some local macaron, uh, Lady Yum has got shops all over the place now. It seems like uh, certainly one right down here in town in the, on the Amazon campus, and I've seen them, I believe, at the airport too. Yeah, uh, we have some at Lulu. You have some mm-hmm. at Lulu? Yeah. yeah. So there, but yeah, there is, there is a, a shop of I just macaron of- from... I think it's Lady Yum, actually. Yeah. Le yeah. Panier, isn't it? Le Panier, Le Panier. Le Panier. beautiful. Le Panier yeah. some, too. Yeah. So yeah. they're out and about. Go out and check them out. It's, it's really kind of the hot cookie in the world um, from everyone traveling to Paris. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Bridget. So fun. Are you coming back to play uh, trivia later, Bridget? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, what's the difference between mozzarella and burrata? When we Is come back one? here on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society show. 97.3 FM. Have you ever tried to decide whether you like mozzarella or burrata better? Ooh, it seems to be a hot topic in restaurants these days and in you know, over tableside conversations. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about that right now here on the Hot Stove Society Show. It's Chef in the Chapeau. Monsieur Douglas. And Tom Douglas, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you know, Chef, uh, a lot of my uh, very sophisticated friends love ordering burrata out in restaurants because it uh, it seems special and interesting. And well, it is different, and it it's fairly different. new. And then uh, people like me, kind of like I got it in the very beginning, and then I was like, "Well, what's so special about this?" Right. So I, I, I feel like a contrarian, which is often the case for me. I know people tell me that all the time. I'm not trying to be, but I just don't. I don't get it. So. 
what's the difference between mozzarella and burrata? Let's start there, and then we could talk about what we like and dislike, and then what we could also talk about how we like to serve it. Right. Well, the difference between mozzarella and burrata is burrata is mozzarella that is surrounding cream on the inside, basically. Like a, like a custardy, but chunky. Correct. So, yeah, like an aged cream kind of idea. Yeah. And um, so that's the but difference. it's a mozzarella skin, whereas mozzarella is just a ball of mozzarella. Correct. Yeah. Mozzarella is it's what you could call a finished cheese, mm-hmm. where mozzarella, I mean, a burrata is actually a cheese skin that is surrounding the inside of a light, yeah, custardy very, curd. very custardy yeah. cheese. Yeah. The beginning of cheese, basically. I personally, I'll give you my personal opinion. I personally, um, like everybody, tried the burrata, you know, different ways and everything. All in all, I think burrata has its place, but it is definitely not as commonly as it is used today. Mm-hmm. For me, um, it's, a good, it's a good addition to, for example, a, a warm dish. Um, like what do you mean? Like, for example, if I'm making a fresh pasta, I finish it with beautiful basil, maybe some pancetta. Uh-huh. Then I'll add some burrata into uh-huh. that. Do you chop it up? Yeah, I just, yeah. I just cut it down. So and you kind of get the custardy. You also get I, little, I little chunks of the skin. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the cream will help make the sauce at mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's basically how I would use it. Um, I've had it a few times with one of my favorite salads in the summertime is tomato. Uh, you know, we have tomatoes everywhere. Tomatoes, uh, cucumber, and mozzarella. Now, putting burrata on that changes the entire thing because everything becomes soapy and very runny, and it just doesn't quite cut it for me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm having the same thing as mozzarella. When I use mozzarella and I eat mozzarella, especially cold or in a, in a salad, mm-hmm. I have a little chewy texture that I'm looking forward to in the bites that I'm mm-hmm. eating. Because I get the crunchy cucumber, I get the tomato a little bit soft, and then I get the mozzarella. I don't find that with the burrata, it's very soft. Right. And I think it's very much a textural thing that I'm not getting. Plus, because it's cream on the inside, it becomes very watery in my dressing. Mm -hmm. So, not something I personally really want. So, typically, when we serve it at at one of our (laughs) restaurants, uh, we try to buy, buy the Italian buffalo milk burrata. Sure. And which is a smaller round. Right. Some of the burratas you see, especially out of Wisconsin, that Belgosio, they're huge. And you, you either serve the whole ball, because once you cut it open, the custard wants, it will come out. Correct. Or you carefully slice it so that you can serve it on a half shell, Correct. essentially. Yeah. So that the custard is kind of facing up uh, in the burrata. And then uh, for, for me, I like it on some sort of... Italian green, mm-hmm. like a kale salad or something where when it does uh, come out of its shell, right. it is not something that mixes with a, a real dressing. Right. Because um, if you're putting mustard vinaigrette, say, and then you put burrata, the, it's going to milk out your dressing and you're Correct. not going to know what it is. Yeah. So it has to be. I, I think one thing that would be delicious is a half, like you just said, like a half cup of burrata, you know, cut in half and then flipped up. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Beautiful truffle from from Piedmont uh-huh. that would be shaved right on top of that. Now I think that would make a very nice combination. That or yeah, something simple like that, right. or or take your burrata, put it on the plate, and then go to your grill and and wood fire your bread. Right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So yeah. all you're doing is you're going to pour delicious extra virgin olive oil yeah. over top of your burrata, maybe some smoked flake salt, 
and then you have this bread, and you're going to spread the burrata right. on the bread rather than kind of having the burrata kind of take over another whole dish. Right. I think you would make also probably a good pizza covering if you had the pizza crust like, you know, I, again, we it's had too your, wet for me. We've had your pizza crust um, again not too long ago. Uh-huh. Same concept where you do heirloom tomato, you do burrata on top of that, and then you do, um, then you, you bake the whole thing. Then when it comes out, you sprinkle julienne, basil everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. that, to me, that makes a good and pizza. does the oven dry out the cheese enough? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it's... sometimes when you use mozzarella in that case, the mozzarella doesn't melt, melt enough. All the and way, you yeah. end up taking the whole bite of mozzarella off your pizza. Correct. Yeah. And no, that's, that's true. That's very... Uh, that, the, the cheese is very important. But again, to me, I think burrata and, and mozzarella both have a place. Mm-hmm. And I think then burrata is, like you said, a hot item on restaurants menu and everywhere. Um, it used to be more expensive than mozzarella. And last time I bought some at Met Market, uh-huh. it was cheaper than mozzarella. And again, there's also, just like feta, you have to read the label to know where it's coming from. Because there is Wisconsin, there is Italy, there is different kinds. There's Ferndale, Washington. There's Ferndale, Washington. That's where we're buying is, our mozzarella now. Which is where I been, yeah. the last one. If you, you have, if you see it out there, where you see the Ferndale mozzarella, it comes in a log. It's, maybe it's a pound, but it's probably more like half a pound log. Typically in that same area, you might see their smoked mozzarella. That's the one I that's buy. on the string, and it's really good. I think. Very, very delicious. Yeah. It goes... You would never guess it's from Ferndale, Washington. Right. Yeah. Especially if you've been to Ferndale. What was I going to say? Oh, the burrata, yeah. So, interestingly enough, it was less expensive. It has become less expensive than mozzarella, which is... Telling you a telltale than it's selling and, um, you know, it's not very, it's not as expensive. Mm-hmm. So. I don't um, know why it wouldn't be, honestly. So. You know, and one thing, though, I was going to say, burrata with peaches. Right now we have peaches in season. A dash of vinegar onto your um, salad. Mix the two together. Fresh herbs. You know, we have uh, anise isop, things like this, julienne into that salad. You'd have a wonderful salad on your hand. And makes a great dessert if you sprinkle it with honey. Boom. You got a wonderful dessert. I think that's the place for burrata. Simply done. Yeah. Seasonal in the summer. Because you don't want to cook with it. It's going to fall apart. Correct. And so it's just uh, when you want a delicate dairy touch. Yeah. And uh, Right now. Yeah. So when, I, would, sir, I would really focus on the burrata and not on putting it on a beet salad or on even right, on... Right, right. You know, just focus on the cheese and then maybe garnishing with fresh peaches or yeah. the honey or the black pepper. Uh, extra virgin olive oil mm-hmm. those things all go beautiful with it uh, a good uh, saba or, or saba, balsamic saba and burratas but magic. as simple as simple as extra virgin olive oil salt and pepper yeah it's yeah. very but you still good. have to have a delicious crusty chunk of country bread to go with uh, it that you need uh, yes. you yeah. can't have more, no you can't have cheese without bread anyway that's against the law. Is it really? Oh. Is that something you can get be, it I come be. From. prosecuted for in France? <laughs> oh, yeah. you, for, long, for many years. Uh, when I've seen you eat a cheese plate, uh, you have the bread, and then it's slathered with butter. That is correct. Then you put yes. the cheese on top. I'm from a place in France where dairy does not scare us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we use it because we make it. Mm-hmm. No, butter, butter on bread with cheese is definitely not against the law. And it's delicious. <laughs> When we come back, uh, we are going to uh, really jump right into some summertime recipes that you can make. Uh, we were inspired by the heat spell last week to do some things that uh, aren't 100% dependent on the kitchen stove. 
right? So, yep. the, so, you, so you can use it for a bit, maybe in the morning or the afternoon, but then when it comes to dinner at the, the height of the heat of the day, uh, you're into cold food. On Cairo Radio, it's Tom and Terry in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Let's make some summertime entrees right here at the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. My name is Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And Pamela, our producer, has been busy as she oft is uh, coming up with ideas for the show and using some of her favorite resources, which this time was Food and Wine Magazine. Tell me about this article and why it inspired you. They had a beautiful segment on perfect recipes for August that got you out of the kitchen. As you said, utilize the grill or had ingredients you could prep earlier in the day, so in the coolness of the day, so you could enjoy it at night. And um, it started with uh, cra- cold spaghetti with crab and caviar, and I was in. <laughs> and Wait, say that again? Cold spaghetti. Yes. With crab uh, and caviar. Yes. And, of course, some Dijon yes. and tangerine segments. You know, it sounds without the caviar and without whatever, but the cold pasta salad sounds like something my mom used to make when I was a kid. I've never had spaghetti. Your mom but make? she did not make spaghetti. She made those, like, uh, the tube, the tube. Uh, Bucatini? Kind of like. Penne? Yeah, penne. More penne. like, uh, smaller than penne, but anyway, she used to make those and. Dijon mustard was the dressing. Yes. It was Dijon mustard and salt, pepper, uh, chopped shallots, and then pasta. Mm-hmm. And then that was, that was the pasta salad that we'd take if we go on a picnic or whatever. She would often make that because it's very simple. And then my mom loves making a whole batch of pasta. I think every mom does that. Big, giant batch of pasta to make sure there is some leftover for tomorrow. Like if pasta was better than so next day. So good to go back into the refrigerator <laughs> the next day. <laughs> So this one in Food and Wine is uh, inspired by Chef Isaac Toops, who comes from Louisiana, where it's boggy hot in the summertime. Uh, it has a sweet, tart segments of juicy tangerine and uses just a teaspoon of uh, Dijon mustard to create a creamy, balanced dressing. Thai chili brings some heat and mint and basil. I mean, that, what a good combination Isn't that, that is. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So basically, you're just mixing together a little vinaigrette, a mustardy vinaigrette until it's creamy. Then you add the cold-cooked pasta. And when you're cooking spaghetti that you want to save for later and serve cold, you have to dress it with just a touch of olive oil. Yes. So that it doesn't all stick to Lob up in the gross. refrigerator. And then uh, you just put the tangerine and the uh, crab meat in there. Toss it up with your fresh herbs right before you serve it. You don't want the herbs in there until you're going to put and it on the, the platter. Yeah. And then just put that whole thing up. And a lot of times um, when people plate things like this, they forget to make sure that... You put all the noodles down and then dress the top of your pile with the crab and the tangerine, right? So that you got that the beautiful so everybody does, bits and pieces yeah. on top. And yeah, instead of covering it all with spaghetti, cold spaghetti. Correct. So that's one, Pam. What was the next one that you love? Well, the prettiest one, the lead of the article is doing a grilled goat cheese and corn relish in the corn husk on the barbecue. Which I is it's just so fetching because it's uh, the vegetable mix in with the goat cheese and then charring your husk to make a boat huh. for the filling and putting it on the barbecue so the husk gets all crispy and the cheese gets all melty with the corn and vegetables. It it was definitely the prettiest one right. in the article. 
Thought, that, makes, that makes kind of sense. I'm wondering how well that's going to hold with the husk and... Um, well, on the husk, if you have a, a, a green corn, I mean, you can always use, I guess, the dried Mexican husk that you find in Mexican markets. The recipes but, would want you to start with the fresh yeah, husk. Yeah, but you just take corn. a paring knife, and at the bottom where the the uh, stem is on the corn, uh-huh. uh, where the cob comes out, right? just take a sharp paring knife and, and cut all the way around till you get into the corn at the bottom. Okay. And that, uh, when you then go to release the husk, right. it comes off as a whole piece rather than tearing. Get it. And then you work your, the, the silk off of the corn after they're all off. Right. But what, I, what I was wondering is to, to bake in that, to do those, that corn salad or corn. Well, it's just like a tamale. You just tie it up like a tamale. I guess, yeah. I guess yeah. you're right. Yeah. And it would, it would cook well, yeah. That's and cool. then you put a hard, they don't have to cook long. Right. You just put a hard, you, you leave your dampers open on your grill so you get a nice hot fire. Sure. And put a hard sear so you're basically charring the husk. Correct. It's just part of what the flavor profile is. Right. Yeah. Take some fire management, which always terrifies me because you wanted to do your husk first, but then um, I think the recipe said let the coals die down for when you're warming it, when you stuff, well, put the stu- goat cheese filling in. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think you... Personally, my shortcut would be not to do the husk first. You take yeah. the husk, you get them off, you f- make your... Uh, your um, stuffing. Stuffing. You put it all together, tie it up like a tamale. Yeah, that seems like that would work. And put a hard sear on, the, on that unit. Yeah. And then move them to, to the indirect side and let the oven roast them till they're hot all the way through. So. Sounds like a good technique, too. I think, yeah. I think that's a good technique. Well, if you're going to try and sear the husk, I understand what they're trying to do, which is give you that flavor. Yeah. But if you just do it low and slow after you give it a char, you'll get the same flavor permeate. I'm going to do it the Tom way. I also think it's easier to stuff your corn and tie it up than once it's not cooked versus once it's dry. Yeah. Yeah. And then the one that got my eye was the roasted curry tomato pie. I know. This has got a lot of flavor elements. And it seems like a perfect summertime kind of uh, vegetarian entree or a side for like a, a pork chop or something. Yeah, mm. Mm. exactly. A good, so, a good pork chop next the, to that. So basically it's like a, a, a pie or a tart. And then the stuffing is very simple. Onion, salt, pepper, red peppers. Tamarind. Tamarind. Yeah, tamarind, tamarind onions. That's what uh, I right. think elevates it, the tamarind yeah. onion. And tamarind root, you know, you just shave that into that. It would be delicious. And also using the, the sweet tamarind. You're thinking turmeric root. Oh, turmeric, sorry. Because you got turmeric in the crust right. and tamarind right, in the, in the onions. I was going to say fresh turmeric in that crust yeah. would really, really be fantastic. I think. Well, for two reasons, right? Number one, you end up with this beautiful kind of yellow crust yeah. with your red tomatoes on top. I know, that yeah. big, beautiful color. This is where you could drop in some corn, too. Because it's summertime. I think corn goes everywhere. Just fresh raw corn. You know, just drop it with your tomato and bake the whole thing together. That'd be delicious. By the way, Chef, uh, speaking of corn and everywhere, I looked up my recipe for the corn and blueberry salad. That, <laughs> and I do give it a quick blanch. Oh, this is where I changed. 15 seconds. That's all you see. This is where I changed the it, recipe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was tumbling around in his head, now, when, and he went when, back to yeah. take the recipe. When so you, on a tomato pie like that, let's go back to our recipe. So we've got a nice turmeric crust, uh-huh. uh, and uh, we, we decided uh, pot brise style crust, not like, a, yes. not like a puff pastry crust. Correct. Right? Puff pastry would not hold. 
Uh, then you've got the layer of the tamarind onions, uh, which is tamarind is sour and onions are sweet. And so you, when you cook those down, you end up with that delicious combination, sweet, sour. And then you put your fresh sliced tomatoes on top mm-hmm. and then you bake it as a whole. And that's something that can be done in the morning and by that evening it yeah. should be perfectly fine. Yeah, just leave it on the counter. It would be perfect. Yeah, a little cheesecloth over top. put it in the fridge. Don't put it in the fridge. No. Yeah. So don't bake it five days before and keep it on the counter. But, yeah, no, I mean, if you bake it in the morning and, you know, you have a great lunch. What kind, of a, what kind of salad? If, that was, if you're going vegan this whole way on this thing, so what kind of salad would you oh want Oh, my with God, that? there's so much beautiful lettuce in my backyard. Just lettuce, I think. Don't you think? Because you've lettuce. got onions and tomatoes. And, lettuce, uh, lemon, yeah. olive oil dressing, you know, something that's got brightness. A little chev, maybe? No cheese. I, no? I think I think I would keep it. To, That's right. We're going vegan. I would keep it to lemon olive oil dressing, some zest of uh, lemon, some fresh herbs. You know, just pick some tarragon, some basil, uh, cut all this into small pieces, put that into your salad. Mm-hmm. That would be a nice garnish to your pie, because the pie is a spice and as, it's spicy. Yeah, it's, it's got spicy. a lot going on. <laughs> it's got uh, chili peppers and it's got. A serrano, so mm-hmm. you know it's got a little kick to it. So because of that, that salad would be very refreshing next to it. And if you don't want the lemon in the dressing, just simple lemon. I mean, um, extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper on your lettuce. When the lettuce come from the garden or from the market, this time of year, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Doesn't need much. And the way we do it at the house, we get the lettuce, we bring it home, we clean the lettuce, and we keep it in the bag with. Um, with a paper towel, uh-huh. the leaves, after they've been dried, spin dry, but not dry completely, still plenty of moisture in it, keep it in the bag, put it in the, in the vegetable drawer, keeps for three, four, five days. Yeah. Delicious way to preserve your nice leafy greens. Yeah. Okay, there's some summertime entrees for you, thanks to, uh, to Food & Wine magazine. Uh, it is, um, it's going to be a fun month. Definitely August is a good month. Up next, it's time to play Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're so excited for Tasty Trivia. (laughs) Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Blends, made by me at my very own building out in Ballard, where Serious Pie Ballard is. By the way, Serious Pie Totem Lake. Opened yesterday. Ooh, yep. congratulations. So, yeah, good news. We hope to see some of you out there. If you're our east side <laughs> friends, and don't come downtown and come join us over at Totem Lake, the village at Totem Lake. It's a little bit like uh, U Village out there right now. Yeah, it's, it's busy. It's really changed. Yeah. Busy, busy. Lots of fun things to do. It's like a big food court. It's all right. there's restaurants there. Perk up your summertime recipes by adding spice rubs to dips and marinades. And make sure you finish off your barbecue meats with one of our favorite uh, sauces like the ancho molasses barbecue sauce. Thank you to Becky Guzak today for this special Julia Child edition of Trivia. Rub with Love can be found all across the country, like at Central Market in Texas, Lunardi's in the Bay Area, or Zupan's in Portland. Also, small retailers like Tony's Delicatessen in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, or Johnson's Home and Garden in Maple Valley. Pamela, do you want to tell us who 
is going to win today? Who uh, they play for? What they're who's going to win? How you already know. Game, all those things. Um, I can't because I usually fix the quiz, as you know. But since Becky Guzak wrote the questions today, oh. I think all three of you have an equal chance wow. between you Bridget Terry. The quiz? I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's news, huh? breaking news, it right here on, news. on Cairo Radio. So you always but, give me the hardest ones, exactly. Yeah. So um, today is the Bon Appetit version in honor of the legendary <laughs> Julia Child. Uh, August fifteenth has become an unofficial holiday for the food obsessed, as it marks the birth of this fabulous, influential woman. She lived to the age of ninety-one, and as we said earlier, if she were alive today, she'd be one hundred and ten. Wow. What a profound impact she had on all of us. So Becky uh, did some research about things that were important to Julia. And let's start with you, Terry. Each of the contestants gets five questions. Number one, Julia Child inspired millions to get in the kitchen and appreciate the pleasures of making and eating good food. Which of these statements is also true? A, throughout the filming of her show, Baking with Julia from 1996 to 1999, she used 753 pounds of butter. Yes, true. B, she was a spy during World War II and helped develop shark repellent. C, she was a Costco fan. All three are right. Exactly, all of the above. (laughs) Julia was spotted on more than one occasion enjoying a hot dog under the umbrellas at the Santa Barbara Costco. Oh, my God. Um, this is a funny one. How many eyes does an octopus have? Well, they have eight arms, and if they agree with the, uh, agree with the concept, and they go, I, 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 I. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to go with two. Two is correct. It also has six arms, two legs, nine brains, and three hearts. Did Julia love octopus? Don't know. Uh, don't know. Uh, number three. Slivovitz is a brandy produced by many European countries dating back to the 15th century when Europeans began domestic cultivation of fruit trees. Which fruit is Slivovitz distilled from? Multiple choice. Don't tell him the choices. He should apricot, plum, jackfruit. Okay, I've never even heard of it, but I'm going to guess apricot. Plum. It is plum. <laughs> the name Slivovitz That's because I love apricot because I live. You know. The Slavic root word for plum. Okay. Number four, for the fourth consecutive year, mushrooms have been named a top food trend. The New York Times named mushrooms ingredients of the year, an essential food for the plant-based movement. Which country is the largest exporter of mushrooms? Do you want the multiple choice? Yes, I do. China, Canada, or Poland? Poland. It is, in fact, Poland. Correct. Number Even five. in Seattle, you can find chanterelle from Poland at some time. That's great. That. Really? Yeah. Oh. Number five, do you have a memory or story of our beloved Julia Child? Oh, yes, I do, but I don't know. Four, where, yeah. four seconds. Yeah, we did a dinner once at Rover's with Julia, and the next day we had a testing at Chateau Saint-Michel and uh, in honor of her and everything. And I, I got to Chateau Saint-Michel after I was busy, so I got there a little bit later. And, and Julia was there in the middle of that party and. She had a glass of wine in her hand, and I said, hey, Julia, and she said, oh, you know, fantastic dinner last night, blah, blah, blah. And I said, how's your wine? She goes, actually, it's not quite that good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And, of course, there was a couple of people maybe not too far yeah. that heard that, and I was like, um, come with me. So we went to the bar, you know, Chateau Saint-Michel has a bar kind of situation, and I told the gentleman, you know this lady? He said, yes. I said, give me one of each of the wine you have to try. 
Oh. And, she, and she was so in heaven after that. She was like, oh my God, this is so delicious. So I don't know what they gave her to start, but she was not happy with Thank it. And then she was very me. happy. <laughs> so that was a very famous moment because you had to be there, but it was very, you very Julia. It. it was very Julia-like. She said the truth. That's she why said we the truth. Her. Hi, Bridget. Hi. Bridget uh, Charters is one of the instructors here. Has been asked to join. Thank you so much. True or false? Julia Child was a terrible cook well into her 30s. True. Absolutely. She did not have a natural talent for cooking, and she was a self-admitted disaster <laughs> until she started taking classes at Le Cordon Bleu. Uh, number two, what is the largest crab in the world? Do you want the multiple choice? King crab. Japanese spiders oh, are Tom, the largest you know crustacean on Earth. You did not. Number three, what is the most common botanical used in making gin? Juniper. Exactly, juniper berries. Number four, the opposite end of the mushroom question, which country is the largest importer of mushrooms? Do you want the multiple choice? Please. France, United States, or Vietnam? United States. Exactly. And finally, do you have a fond memory of Julia? You know, I do. I gave the commencement speech for the students at the uh, California Culinary Academy when I graduated. And uh, she was up on stage. She popped up on stage because she happened to be in town and came up to, we were all lined up, and she came up to say hello. And I'm tall, and I looked up to her. Yes. And it was like, and my mouth dropped open, and she kind of smiled. And I said, I shook her hand and I said, "Wow, you're tall." <laughs> and, and she started was formed. She giggled and she goes, "Well, I have my Ferragamos on it." She kicked her heel up and showed me she had the low heel, the low Ferragamo heel. It was great. Didn't make wonderful memory. <laughs> no. And finally, Tom, who no, was how, how So by the way, four and four to the four end. Oh, okay. you got to do five, Tom. Yeah. Oh boy. Number one, who was the actor on Saturday Night Live that played Julia Child in the 1978 skit, The French Chef? Mm -hmm. And Aykroyd. Exactly. Good memory. What is the wine ago? (laughs) What is the weight of the world's largest halibut caught on a fishing rod? Would you like the multiple choice? No, I'm going to say 400 pounds. That is the closest. Yes, the options were 240. 540 and 880, and 540 is the correct. Should we give it to him, Chef? Yes, yes, yes. Give him half a point. No, no. Give him the whole point. He didn't even want to have the three options. That's that's real chivalry there. Which popular distilled beverage contains the least amount of alcohol? I'm going to give you the multiple choice. Jägermeister, Pasti, or Malibu Coconut Rum? Pasties. No. Malibu coconut rum. Oh, no. What? Pastis, yes. Pastis is 45. <laughs> Very high. Oysters can significantly improve water quality and clarify with their filtering systems. They are often referred to as one of the best ecosystem engineers of marine wildlife. Wow. Approximately how many gallons of water can one adult oyster filter per day? 10 gallons, 25 gallons, or 50 gallons? 25 gallons. It's 50 gallons. Wow. You have to finish with a memory of Julia. Yep. Uh, well, I have, I have a ton, but my favorite was um, her at dinner with Paul, her husband Paul. I happened to watch 
the movie the other night. Oh, uh, Julia and Julia. Yeah. And uh, but I happened to uh, Stanley Tucci was playing Paul, and it reminded me of sitting with Julia at dinner, and Paul fell asleep and started snoring at the table, <laughs> and Julia just looked around and read the table and she said, "Let's not wake him." And she took his plate and ate his whole dinner along with her own. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas and Co. Or buy a ticket to join us in the studio at HotStoveSociety.com. Uh, you're listening to us on Cairo. The show is produced by Pam Hinckley, Sean McFadden, and Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend.